Steelers, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Now, here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it. You love it. It is Victory Lane this week on the show. Kyle Larson tames the monster mile. Young Money got some checks to cash. Sam Mayer is the champion of the K&M Pro Series East in 2019. We go one-on-one with David Reagan, chat about his impending retirement, among other things. A brief, 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 brief preview of Talladega and Roseville at All-American Speedway this weekend from Sacramento, California. So as we get every episode started here on the 2.0 iteration of Victory Lane, at least for the last few weeks or so, and I'm not recording this from a hotel, I'm currently recording this on my couch, a door is open because the weather's nice, but I hope no neighbors will hear me. Dryden 400 at Dover International Speedway. Cut to the chase. Not a good race. <laughs> Not the best race, for sure. The package for this year, uh, you've probably heard it talked about at nauseum by now, but it makes tracks like Dover and Richmond and Phoenix kind of crappy. But Kyle Larson doesn't really care about that because he wins the race. Snaps a 75-race winless streak besides the All-Star race. But in terms of points-paying events, this is his first time winning in over two calendar years. He advances to the round of eight in the NASCAR playoffs for the first time in his career and the first time Chip Ganassi Racing has ever done that. Feels pretty good, don't it? Yeah, it's uh, it's always good to to win, but to end a you know winless you know drought uh, <clears throat> was good. You know, I, but you know it's it's not a shock either. You know, I feel like we've been running really well this year, aside from the beginning of the year, and even in the beginning of the year we were still at some good speed. I was just making a lot of mistakes, so. Um, we've been able to clean up what we've been doing on race days and um, executing and uh, going about the races uh, more patiently. So um, our car has been getting better the last couple months. So it was uh, good to dominate a race like we did today. Kyle has been very loyal to Chip Ganassi. So I was wondering if the milestone of not only him making it to the round of eight, but giving Chip the first car to make that round, if that gives this win any added significance to his career and the organization's existence because they've had a ton of success on the sports car side. On the IndyCar side, we know Scott Dixon is the arguable GOAT. But in NASCAR, they don't have a championship, and Kyle Larson talks about it right here. The last time that they were remotely close to winning was Sterling Marlin back in the 2000s. Davey Siegel with Front Stretch. So this is the first time that Chip Ganassi Racing is on to the round of eight as well as yourself, and you've been very loyal to Chip. You've said as much. He's said as much. Does, does that kind of give this win a little bit of an extra meaning to you? Um, yeah, I mean, Chip's had opportunity to win a championship, I think, one other time maybe, and, and uh, I think Sterling Marlin got hurt that year. So, you know, he was probably going to win the championship that season had he not gotten hurt. So, you know, it would be, be nice to uh, – to get him that championship that he's honestly, you know, probably owed. So yeah, it's uh, to to move on to the next round special. But uh, we're not just 
satisfied with being in the round of eight. You know, we want to go and, and make it into that final round at Homestead, you know, where it's my best track. Um, and, uh, you know, it's the final year for the for the championship race to be at Homestead. So I've looked at it, you know, this ever since they released your know, next year's schedules, this is my best opportunity to, to win a championship. So um, I got to take advantage of that. Crew Chief Chad Johnston, he pitted Kyle a tad early on one of the green flag runs to try and get a little bit more clean air on the nose of the 42 Chevrolet. And that was pretty much the main factor late in the race and throughout the entire day, which was clean air. And I talked about that in my post-race report, which I tweeted out and it was on my Facebook. So I wanted to ask Chad about that because it seemed like today with this package at this track, at this race, with only one caution besides stage breaks, coming on lap seven, by the way, for Chase Elliott blowing up, clean air was the difference. Davey Siegel with front stretch. Chad, it seemed like clean air here was uh, king as always, but was that did that go into your strategy in terms of when to pit Kyle, when to not, and get him in clean air? Yeah, for sure. I I told the guys on the pit box, barring a, a late caution, that the, I felt the race was going to be won on that last restart. So anything we could do to make sure we had control of the race and could could come off turn two with the lead was going to put us in our best best opportunity to win. And uh, that to me, that race was won off pit road by the guys on pit road. So you had Martin Truex Jr. finish in second place. Alex Bowman third place finishes second and third at Dover this year. Kevin Harvick fourth, and Denny Hamlin in fifth place. So let's get some thoughts on Denny, or from Denny, I should say, about racing around lapped traffic. Now, I want to preface these comments by saying Claire B. Lang was asking all the questions because if you're a media member and you're in a scrum and Claire B.'s there, well, you know how that's going to end. I digress. Um, So he led 218 laps. He won stage one, and he was going to win stage two, but then Joey Logano basically said, well, he was 24 laps down because he had a problem before the green flag even flew. And Denny did really not mince words after the race. Yeah, it's just the challenging part was, you know, getting the lap cars and stuff. If they really didn't, you know, heed the spot to you and kind of move up and, and let you take the lane, it was just so difficult to get around. Uh, so that was the challenge of it uh, was the passing side of things. But, you know, we were happy with, uh, with our day, and it really wasn't a challenging day really from our standpoint at all. Uh, we, we had a great car and just you know, lost control of the race there. Make a position he's 24 laps down. That's the most idiotic statement I've ever heard. We're battling for the end of the stage. It's not your day. You had bad luck. We get it. But what? why? I, I don't understand. I don't understand that at all. So that's just a stupid statement by an idiot. you got to get out of the way. you got to get out of the way. When it's not your day and you're 20-some laps down, you are not going to make those positions up. It ain't going to make one position difference at any point of the race, and it, it didn't. Um, we're racing, you know, I, I would – it is proven. You know, most of these guys would get out of the way and let those leaders race for the end of the stage at that time, and I don't know what happened at the end with the 19 or with anybody else, but um, she probably shouldn't call Joey an idiot. He's not an idiot, but that was just a bad choice uh, to, to say that – He's fighting for something. He's not fighting for anything. He's he needs to just run around the racetrack, stay in one lane, may, maybe the high lane because nobody's running up there. Get the laps over with. Get the race over with. Go home, work on it at Talladega to try to win that race. I get it. Everyone races hard. You know, if you're one lap down, I even get it. But or two, but not 24. It's it's. It just that that frustrates me because it's just a lack of like. 
lack of philosophy that I just don't understand. All he did is piss up, piss some people off. And what did he really gain? He didn't gain anything. But he just pissed off some guys that he's racing with now. So now we're, we're going to race him extra hard for, for what? For the reason? Because he didn't want to go 26 laps down? Anybody would tell you that's just not a good choice. Well then, tell us how you really feel, Denny. <laughs> I, I liked it because he was kind of he called him a stupid statement by an idiot, and then the very next answer he kind of goes back on. He's like, ah, I probably shouldn't say that. He, he's not an idiot. Um, but I mean that that's pretty much it, guys. <laughs> the, the race was not really that eventful. It was 400 laps. It was 400 miles of kind of just riding around single file. There was some passing here and there, but in terms of racing for position and for the lead. It only kind of got good when there was lap traffic. And when there was, you saw that there was a little bit of controversy, as they say, across the pond between Logano and Denny. Now, my stance on this, and it doesn't really matter, obviously. I, I mean, if I'm Logano, I kind of think, all right, I'm, I'm 24 laps down. I don't want to get my competitors mad because odds are one of these guys is probably not going to be in the championship four. So maybe I won't get them mad if I happen to get there and then they can maybe cut me some slack. But as Denny said right there, now he's not cutting anybody any slack moving forward, especially Joey Logano. I want to also touch on the General Tire 125 from Dover, the K&M Pro Series East finale in 2019, the 12th race of the season. And the day was pretty much a microcosm of the season. Sam Mayer and GMS Racing wins it. They were fastest in practice. They win the pole. They win the race and the championship. Sam led 123 of the 125 laps. The only person that led those other two laps was Tanner Gray, and that was on two restarts, I believe, after scheduled breaks. So Sam Mayer dominated the day, and he was only pushing his car at like 60 to 75%. So you can say what you want about Sam as I yawn. Uh, I'm going to go on a sidetrack right here real quick. So I, in like a few episodes ago, I yawned during one of my like tapings and I didn't think that it sounded significant enough to edit it out. So then I went back and listened to it and I was like, wait, that, that is hilarious. You can completely tell that I'm yawning. And I think this is in Las Vegas. So my girl, Heather DeBow, I know you listen, shout out to you, Heather, seeing Sacramento this weekend. I showed her and she was dying. She was like, you can clearly tell that you're yawning. So Heather, that yawn was for you. Uh, I digress. Let's, we're talking about Sam Mayer here. Say what you want about him. Because I know he might not be the most popular driver right now in the NASCAR world. But, I mean, he got it done. Yeah, his team is the best of the best right now in K&N. They spend the most money. They have the most resources. They have very smart people, very well-trained people over there. But Sam ain't no slouch either. Like, you got you to drive the car at some points. So, I got to give credit to him, and I will give credit where credit is due. Sam Mayer is a wheel man. And he just got his license. So he wins four races in the season, a third of the races in the season, by the way, as we'll hear from his father in a minute. He has an average finish of like 3.2 in all 12 races, wins the championship, and then two, three days later, gets his driver's license. That's pretty crazy. Here we were talking in victory lane after his win and his championship. It was his day and his season in 2019. Sam Mayer wins the General Tire 125 and wins the 2019 K&M Pro Series East Championship. What a day. What a season for you. Can you put it into words? 
I'll try. I mean, I can't thank everyone at GMS enough for all they do for me. I mean, they had a rocket ship here for me. I can't thank them enough for that. I mean, I can't thank Drivers Edge Development, Chevrolet, Chevrolet Accessories for being on the car and bringing me out here in the first place, giving me this opportunity to go and win a Canaan East Championship. I mean, it means so much, and uh, I'm going to celebrate even more for sure. I was going to say, you had a little uh, sparkling cider instead of champagne because, dude, you're you're just over 16 years old. <laughs> like, when I was 16, I don't even remember what I was doing, and here you are a champion. That must be insane for you to think about. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, I wish it would have been a regular champagne to get the full experience, but, I mean, what's the difference, right? Uh, I mean, I can't thank everyone who's on the car this weekend. I mean, we have the pink on the car for this month, and it's amazing, and uh, to win at Dover and get the Golden Monster Mile Trophy and get beat Miles the Monster. I tweeted about it earlier, and, oh, man, I finally did it, and I, I'm so excited about it. And your crew chief, Marty Lindley, said, don't don't tear this thing up. we got to take it to Phoenix, so maybe you'll get to do a burnout there to celebrate? I'm definitely doing a burnout there. I don't care what he says. <laughs> I really wanted to do one this weekend, but uh, I'll give it to him. We have to run it in Phoenix, but it's all good. <laughs> all right, well, he's going to hop on a flight to Indianapolis for the ARCA Racing Series event tomorrow, but right now, Sam Mayer soaking it in as the champion in 2019. Marty Lindley is the crew chief who honestly is pretty much the brains behind this entire operation and organization. He doesn't talk a lot, as I opened this interview by saying, but I wanted to get a word with him because this dude's insanely talented, a really nice guy, and he knows his stuff. He he put a hot rod on the racetrack every single weekend, and a couple of the drivers were talking to me throughout the season basically saying, yeah, Sam's whatever, but uh, you know Marty is the goods. So Marty Lindley, he is the championship crew chief in 2019. He doesn't show a lot of emotion a lot, but Marty Lindley, I'm sure this has to feel pretty sweet for you. Fourth win of the year, and you're celebrating your championship right now in victory lane. You lead every single lap for the second time this season. Congratulations. Yeah, just what a what a way to end the season, put a stamp on this last race, and, you know, to get the championship. And, you know, you just got to thank everybody, Chevy Accessories, everybody at GMS Racing, you know, the whole crew. Everybody worked so hard on this deal. Sam has improved each and every race all year long, and uh, it just worked out for us. How has he improved throughout the year? Because I remember a couple times you guys have been talking to him about what to do on his restarts, and he had a handful of them to work through today. Is that one of the things that you guys have focused on? Yeah, we're just working on his racecraft a little bit, restarts, and his qualifying was really off at the beginning of the year, and you see it's he stepped it up. And uh, I don't his average start is probably around third now. So uh, he's just doing everything better. Uh, he restarted uh, fairly well today, and uh, he just drove an amazing race. So 12 races on the year, you guys finished outside the top 10 only once, and that was at South Boston when Sam had to leave, so it wasn't even really him in the car for most of the race, and you win a third of the races. I mean, did you guys expect your, you guys to be this successful coming into the season as a first-year team? Yeah, you just never know. Uh, you know, that's just the strength of GMS racing, and, and, you know, I've had in the past I've had so much experience with other drivers, and it just all, it all came together, and, and uh, here we go. And you didn't even let him celebrate because you're going to Phoenix, that's right? Yeah, we got still more business to do. This is our best engine, and <laughs> and uh, we don't need to blow the rods out of it celebrating it just yet. Well, if he, if he went to Phoenix, you're going to let him blow the motor and celebrate? Well, we're not going to blow the motor, but he can spin the tires <laughs> off of it. All right, congratulations, right, Marty. Thank you. And I wanted to talk to Scott Mayer, who is a proud papa of his champion son, Sam. As you'll hear right here, he did some racing, too, in the open-wheel realm of things, but the way that his son is reacting, learning, winning this quickly at this level something he's never really seen before one proud papa that is what sam mayor's dad is today mr mayor congratulations your son put a whooping on him this year and he did a 
once again here today. How do you feel about this entire celebration? It's really hard to put in words. It's just amazing to dominate Dover like he did today and then win the championship. To think that he won one out of every three races this year, yeah. absolutely amazing. He finished outside the top ten only once, and that was the race where you guys had to leave a little bit early for a prior commitment. So, I mean, when you look at the stats, it's, it's amazing what he's done. Yeah, and we're building. Uh, we think we got better days to come. So he's, uh, he's digging. This is what he's committed to doing, and he's uh, full speed ahead. I was listening to the radio once you guys crossed the start-finish line, and Marty said, hey, take care of it. We still got Phoenix. He didn't even let him do a burnout, so hopefully we can get that in Phoenix, I'm guessing. He keeps moving the bar. You can do a burnout <laughs> after Dover, and now it's after Phoenix. Uh, yeah, Sam will deal with it. He's fine, but I think Phoenix it's coming for sure. What can you say about your son throughout this entire season? There's been some ups, there's been some downs, and you've obviously been ready to side throughout the whole season. What can you say about him and how he's handled everything? He is so mature for his age to be 16 years, three months and eight days and doing what he's doing absolutely amazes me. You know, I raced professionally for a number of years and he's in a different zip code than I ever was. Yeah. So amazing. I guess you're a proud papa then, is that right? I am. No <laughs> doubt about it. Congratulations. Thank you very much. So to recap the 2019 K&M Pro Series East season, Sam Mayer wins it. That's about it. <laughs> uh, look, I mean, yes, I work for NASCAR. I, I love the K&M Pro Series East. I, I went to every single race this year. The racing was not great. I mean, there were some races that were good. There were some races that were great. But overall, there was there was more times than not where you had one guy get out to the lead, and it was pretty much an arrow push because the because the East Series races on a lot more tracks that are arrow sensitive. Because like you look at the West schedule, it's local short track, bull rings, beating and banging short track Saturday nights almost every single race maybe besides Sonoma and Irwindale and maybe a couple others. But the East schedule, New Hampshire twice, Bristol twice, Dover, Watkins Glen. These are all cup tracks, National Series tracks, by the way. Memphis, which the Truck Series should be running at by now. So you get what I'm saying? you know. So it's, it's basically just you go to these tracks, and even though it's a developmental series and the racing is, is pretty pure, there is still that aerodynamic aspect where you still can get arrow tight or arrow loose behind somebody, which I like. But I think at the K&N level, it's kind of frustrating to for the drivers, I should say, to see them you know, be stuck behind guys and still have that gap in performance because to shoot it to you straight, finances went out. I mean, we know that in pretty much any profession and racing is no different, especially on the K&N level. But with all that being said, I want to give a big congratulations to Sam, Marty, uh, everybody over at GMS Racing, and special thanks to Lori, um, who helped me. She was the PR representative from GMS. If she's listening, then wow, I doubt she is, but she's been a very big help all year long, as well as Sarah. So thank you guys all for helping me out this year on the GMS side of things. I had to interview a lot of people, or, or Sam a lot, because he was always fastest in practice and won the pole and won a lot of races. So Sam Mayer is your 2019 K&M Pro Series East champion interview time another cup driver on the program this week it is front row motorsports veteran david reagan talked for a little over 20 minutes it was a very fun time chatting with the veteran in the cup series we talked about obviously his impending retirement announced that earlier this year late in the summer why now is the right time for him to step away and basically the reason is his kids but i didn't really know a lot about him so i wanted to ask more about them pursuing other interests inside of the world of racing once cup driving full-time is over. 
maybe some short tracks, maybe some some sports car racing, who knows, the truck series, late models, you never know. And also, like you'll hear in this interview, I thought he was so much older than he actually is. Like, I, I want you to just take a second right now. How old do you think David Reagan is? I'll give you a sec. You probably think he's what, like 39, like 40, early 40s? I'll give you a hint. He's way younger than that, and I was shocked about that. So we got into that. His two restrictor plate wins coming at Daytona and Talladega. Why he was stupid in his first few years of racing in the Cup Series. All the change that's happened in the sport throughout him being at the top level. Replacing a legend, a Hall of Famer in Mark Martin at Roush Fenway Racing in the sixth car. His work with Striner's Hospital, driving for Bob Jenkins, and leaving a legacy in the sport that he's called home for the better part of the last decade and a half, almost two decades or so. There was a lot of little nuggets that he dropped in this interview too. So I really hope you enjoy it. Really, really nice guy. Uh, I, I say at the end of the interview, I think he's like the nice guy in the Cup Series. So enjoy my conversation with David Reagan. I know I did. Hope you will too. Pleasure to be joined by David Reagan, driver of the 38 Fort Front Row Motorsports. Man, the last 10 races. Yeah, I'm Can excited for Can you believe that it's here? You know, it feels like life goes by fast. The racing season goes by fast. I feel like we were just, you know, in Daytona for the 4th of July yep. just a few weeks ago. So uh, the, the, the season is here. It's uh, playoff time. The intensity's up for everybody, even us. We, we didn't make playoffs, but we still have some things to prove, some good runs to get, uh, a lot of, uh, of races that are in front of us that we have opportunities to run well. So I feel like the intensity is even ramped up on our team. So this is not the end of your cup driving career. We, we think, we hope, but it's the last 10 races of your full-time driving career. Has that sunk in yet, that this is kind of the last stretch for you? You know, I really haven't thought about it much. I've had a few people ask me, and I, I haven't paid much extra attention to that uh, storyline or to that, that feeling. Uh, I know that it is, and, and when I think about it, I don't really have any emotions. Uh, it, it feels good, and I still feel like I, I made the right decision. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I really haven't, um, I haven't thought much about it. So the decision-making process, I know you kind of talked at length that it was mainly due to spending more time with your family because that's what you wanted to do when you're not driving the race car. But I'm curious as to the past few years, maybe we'll say three, four, five years, how much did that weigh on you then, and how much of that weighing on you in those few past years did it come to a head now and you're saying, I think this is the right time to do it? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The last few years, uh, you kind of get in, in that rhythm of, of being at Front Row Motorsports, uh, helping to, to grow this team and cultivate uh, a good you know, foundation for, for this team to, to grow is certainly as we, you know, added a third team and we built all new Mustangs over the all season of last year. And uh, as my kids got a little older, they got a little bit more uh, fun to be around and, and you can go do different things and travel and they develop personalities and going to school and kind of starting their lives. You know, when they're little babies, uh, you know, for me, I, you don't have much of a real connection with, right. with a, an infant or, or one or two year old. But once they get to three, four, five, you can uh, you know have conversations with them you kind of see you know what kind of personalities they're going to be and and yeah a combination of just kind of going through the same routine on on the the cup side after 12 or 13 years you kind of look up and not much is changing you think man you know what, what am i what am i really doing here and then on the other side you're missing out a lot of stuff as they're uh, developing and growing as as uh, young children and and my wife and i've been married for seven years now so you know it's important for us to um, you know spend time together and yeah everything just kind of came to a head yeah so 
tell me about your kids. Like, what do they like to do? What are you going to be watching them doing now that you won't be driving full Yeah, time? they have a lot of interest. Uh, they're both in, in school. One's in kindergarten. One's in, like, a preschool, but five days a week. And uh, they have, uh, you know, swimming lessons. They play soccer on Saturdays. Uh, they, they enjoy gymnastics and different things like that. And some of it we haven't been able to let them pursue certain interests because of my schedule. Uh, my wife can only be in one place at one time. Yeah. Uh, she can't. Uh, get get all over the place and and when I'm home uh, I want to spend some time with them and and not you know have them out doing a lot of other things right. so I don't know what that would look like uh, next year when when I have a little bit more of a predictable schedule and, and home a little more but uh, yeah they, they love to be out and about they love to uh, travel and and do things uh, around town and be involved with other uh, kids of their age so yeah I think they have a lot of interest are you a crazy soccer dad, like watching them play? Are you well, I've never been to a game. Okay, so, yeah, do, so yeah. do you think you're going to be that way? Or um, I think as they get older, I'll be pretty uh, passionate. Uh, I don't think that I'm going to just, you know, sit there and, and stare at my phone while they're playing. I do yeah. want them to, to play good. I want them to win. I mean, there's yeah. winners and losers in this world, and I don't want them to be a loser. So <laughs> I want them to uh, to get out there and compete and win. No participation trophies in the yeah, Reagan household. Yeah, not, not, not for me. No. No. <laughs> um, I'm also curious, what about racing? you, you, you going to push the racing on them? Do they have the bug at all? I'll absolutely not push it on them. Uh, <laughs> racing's too expensive for uh, for most families to pursue at a young Preach. age. And with that, that's a, uh, and that's a problem that we have, and I really hate that because racing is such a good – uh, hobby for families to spend time together. It uh, keeps kids out of trouble. It helps them mature at a faster rate. So I would love to to have my kids involved in motorsports. I love racing. I, I have race shops. I have tools and equipment, but it's too expensive. Uh, you, you would have to spend, you know, fifty dollars to $100,000 a year when they're seven, eight years old racing. And, and I think that is, is absolutely insane to spend that kind of money uh, on, a, on a seven or eight-year-old for a hobby. So I don't know that that's ever going to change, but um, with the current landscape of, of the cost of short track racing, I hope they have zero interest in, in racing. But uh, if that were to ever change, uh, there's nothing that would make me more happy to have a race car to, to tune on uh, for my children. But, no, I hope that they play soccer and tennis and, uh, and golf so they can get a good scholarship, and, and that's a lot cheaper than uh, than buying race cars. Stick and ball sports is a bit cheaper. Yeah, yeah, say. and so, yeah, that's another – Another uh, interview for another day on how to get yeah. the, the cost out of this. But, yeah, racing is way too expensive. So I'm also curious. Um, you, you talked to also at length when you, when you announced your retirement about the stuff that you wanted to do still in the world of racing once you were done with full-time cup driving. What are some of those things that you are looking forward to doing still behind the wheel but maybe not full-time in, uh, in a Yeah, company? I mean, I've had opportunities to go run short track cars over the last few years, opportunities to go run a few uh, road racing cars, Um you know, obviously the truck series, the Xfinity series, I've had a few people call me from time to time to go and race, but I felt like I did not have the extra time to devote to another uh, race team and a racing series and with my current schedule in the, in the Cup Series and with my family time. So there's very limited time to go and pursue other interests uh, without taking away from my family or taking away from my responsibilities at Front Row Motorsports. So I don't really know what what that will look like. I've had a few conversations, but I I would love to race some. Uh, I would love to run a few short track uh, truck races. Uh, I look at that, you know, IMSA schedule. They've got some really cool races, Uh, even my Legends car and, and some short track races around the southeast. So we'll have to see what what pops up what's uh you know available what what kind of opportunities are there and see if i can do them or not 
I'm going to go back to your kids for one second. How, how often do they come to the racetrack, and when they do, what do they think of everything going on? Yeah, I mean, they, they love being at the racetrack. They think it's cool to stay in a motorhome and, and to see some airplanes and helicopters flying around and a lot of people in the grandstands. I mean, they're still young. They don't really get the, the whole you know, competing and pit stops and, and what's going on on the racetrack, but they, they like to see the cars. They enjoy to see the, the people and walk through the garage and see everything. It's a big spectacle in their eyes so they come to you know six or eight races a year uh, maybe 10 mm-hmm. uh this year that they'll come to maybe a couple more toward the end of the year than they usually would but it's hard to you know fly a family of four uh, back and forth to the races you get home really late on sundays they've got school on mondays uh my wife's very structured with the, the schedule and it uh, it kind of takes the fun and, and sometimes i don't want them at the racetrack because i'm working mm-hmm. i don't want to be distracted and i don't want to sound sound mean but uh th- this is my work workplace so i don't really want a lot of friends and a lot of family and my kids running around because that's a distraction so sometimes i'd rather be here by myself it's it's an interesting point of view because at the end of the day you're right it is a job it's your yeah. occupation it's your profession and, uh, we just kind of get used to i think in the in the day and age that we are now in nascar cup series racing we see motorhomes and kids playing in the driver owner lot and stuff but yeah i think you're one of the kind of the last ones that has that mindset of look i'm here to work and that's what yeah. i'm going to do while i'm here yeah, and I th- everybody's different. You know, some families can handle that, and, and some kids aren't on schedules, and some kids are homeschooled, and, you know, they're all over the place. But but for our household, that's what works good for us. And when I'm, uh, you know, when I'm around my kids, I want to be a dad and tuned in. I don't want to be thinking about my race car and, yeah. you know, watching uh, watching over their shoulders of, you know, what's <laughs> happening. So, yeah, when I'm at the track, I'd like to stay focused on that. I'm sorry if this comes off the wrong way, but I thought you were so much older yeah so i was doing research for this you're 33 years old that's right right is is, am i crazy to think that i thought you were like early 40 because you've been racing in cup for what 13 years yeah i guess uh yeah yeah i just uh i i I feel young but uh yeah i kind of like older stuff i mean i go to bed early i don't like loud music uh you know, I don't... Uh, you don't gamble in Vegas? Uh, I mean, I haven't gambled yet. I mean, I, I may put 20 bucks in a slot machine, but I'm probably not going to spend much money. Rowdy. And, yeah, I mean, I, I have over time, and some of that, uh, it, it's just lost interest uh, to me. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I I, uh, I am definitely a, like a, a 60-year-old in like a 33-year-old's body. Uh, when I go to, yeah, concerts or things, I'm like, this is too loud. I wish they'd turn the music <laughs> down a little bit. So, uh, yeah, I... I uh, I guess that, that that's a good thing, though. You sure you're not a 41-year-old, as your crew chief thinks back there? Yeah, I'd, I'd be okay rocking 40. 40 still a good age. I mean, hey, I know some 60- and 70-year-old guys that get around pretty good. <laughs> that's true. I mean, hey, we had we got Morgan Shepard still racing Xfinity Series yeah. every now and then. <laughs> yeah, He's that's killing right. It, right? Um, so I want to also go back to two of the highlights of your career. Those are those two wins in the Cup Series at Daytona and Talladega. I'm going to get to some other races that you might remember more than those two, but let's go one by one with those first. What do you remember about those days specifically yeah the daytona win was was much needed we came off of a daytona 500 that year where we should have could have won i changed lanes before the the uh start finish line 2011 yep 2011 Mm -hmm. we'd led a lot of laps trevor was a good car that was pushing me and and we were going to win that race but it didn't work out and and we'd had some good runs uh up until that point we finished second in the coke 600 uh, had a maybe a fourth at richmond uh third at somewhere else and so we we were close but that was a pivotal point in my career ups was uh going to leave i didn't know if i was going to be back at, at roush or not mm-hmm. so that win was really good for me to get a win for ups get a win driving the six car and we ended up having a, a really solid year but um 
Yeah, that I don't remember much about the specific race. It was tandem uh, drafting, and our car was fast. We stayed out of trouble, and I had Matt Kenseth as a teammate that was committed to pushing at the end, and, and things worked out. And in the Talladega race, you also had a teammate. It was, I think it was past the tandem age, but you, you and David Gillen were a rocket ship that last, those last couple of laps. And you were, you went at Ralph's Fenway, you went at front row, helping the team with a teammate helping you both times. It's, it's a yeah. team sport. People don't realize that. Yeah, the win at, at Talladega was very special to get Bob Jenkins his first win at Talladega as a track that's not too far from where he lives at in Tennessee. To have uh, David Gillen finish second, it was a one-two front row day. That was fun, and we were certainly not expected to win that race. I think we had run well on the restrictor plate tracks that year uh but and you always have but man career, the yeah. uh yeah that car that day it drove good but at the end when i had a run i, I just was able to make the moves uh, it, it's not always that easy to, to do that because sometimes guys are blocking sometimes you don't have anywhere to go but you know when they went high i was able to go low and david was able to push so that, that was a real special day right place right time sometimes yep sometimes you got to be there and our cars were fast when they needed to be so besides those two races and you mentioned daytona 500 in 2011 I'm sure that race car drivers, especially you, you guys remember the littlest things, the most inconsequential things to fans and media members that they might forget, but they stick in your guys' mind forever. Are there are there some other races that you might think about saying, oh, man, I wish we, we had this one back? Yeah, I mean, I was just so young and, and inexperienced and, and really stupid my first two <laughs> or three years. I, I had fast race cars, and we were able to get some top fives and top tens, but I had no idea on, on how to race 500-mile races, how to manage tires, how to set up a car for long runs, uh, how to come on and off pit road. And I felt like I could drive fast, but I didn't have the right person uh, training me, coaching me. I wasn't asking the right questions. And, yeah, I mean, I think of a couple of races that 2008 season, we uh, finished 13th in points. And what uh, we should have won the, the second Michigan race. We were leading on a green-white checkered, and uh, I think someone had new tires. Carl or somebody ended up winning. Uh, we were leading at Homestead with a couple laps to go and ran out of gas. I had no idea how to really save fuel. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, when I drove for, uh, for Michael Waltrip Racing in 2015, we had a couple of races that we could have won that year, and, and we were off on cycle, on, on pit cycles. I ran out of fuel at uh, Watkins Glen running good. Uh, finishing second in the Coke 600 that year in 2011. I felt like we ran great the whole race and, and had a, uh, a good uh, restart at the end, and that's when uh, Junior ran out of fuel, Harvick won, and we ran second. And, um, yeah, th- there's a couple of what-ifs in there that if I would have been a little bit smarter, maybe could have got a few more wins. But I'm sure every driver would say oh, yeah. that. You know, so, some guys just do a better job of getting up to speed, and, and I just didn't do that good of a job. You mentioned it there, though. You, you've seen your fair share of teams. You've been with different car manufacturers. There's been different playoff formats, rules packages. I mean, you've only been in this for 13 years, and I say only yeah. because you're young, like we mentioned. But you've seen your fair share of change that's happened in this sport in a relatively quick period of time. Yeah, the sport has changed a lot over over the years. Um, I think they've had some really good changes, some good moves that have helped the racing. They've probably made some changes that, that they uh, regret as far as NASCAR goes, mm-hmm. and they've went back on some of them. But, man, I think uh, over the last year or two, we have seen some of the best racing that uh, – that we've ever seen uh, certainly this year a lot of close racing it's entertaining uh the fans like it watching on tv the fans like it in the grandstands you know the drivers some some of them like it some of them don't but but i think that's fine i think that we we got to have closer competitive tighter racing and and i think the racing this year has been really good i want to touch on one more question 
going back to the Roush Fenway racing days, when you when you made the leap to Cup, you replaced a Hall of Famer and Mark Martin in the six car. I'm curious as to the pressure that came along with being associated with that team at that time, replacing a driver of that caliber for somebody like you who, like you mentioned, self-admittedly young and somewhat dumb looking back on things. Yeah, I just was an experience. I had run uh, 15, 18 ARCA races and about 16 or 18 truck races, and they put me full-time in cup. So in the six car one. Yeah, so I, I was way uh, unexperienced, but but I, I was fast. I could go fast, but I just didn't know how to race. And if, if that opportunity came up again, I would do it again. I mean, I was a young kid just dying to get a, a job driving a NASCAR cup car, and that was laid in front of me, and, and I had to take it. I couldn't just sit around and, you know, wait to go run a truck full-time and then go run an Xfinity car full-time and then finally get to the Cup Series. You know, Everybody and, has their different paths. Yeah, and, and uh, if everybody had it uh, the way they wanted it, that's how we would do it. Uh, but but sometimes things come, and you gotta you got to – uh, you got to swim or drown, and and I, I borderline uh, drowned a few times, <laughs> but I was somehow able to survive and doggy paddle for a while. But uh, yeah, that was a that was a very stressful time. There were periods of time at, at Roush Fenway where, uh, man, I hated driving. I hated going to the racetrack. Hated going to the shop just because we, we didn't run as good as we needed to. Had a lot of pressure. You know, when teams are spending a lot of money on race cars you got to perform and, and sometimes it wasn't uh, wasn't that much fun but uh yeah we, we made it through and we're able to have some success at times and uh it all worked out okay where was your mental headspace at in those times you know i was just so young i, I don't uh i i was just going through the rhythms um i uh you know i wish i could could have went back and maybe had someone to help um coach me a little more uh but my you know my my dad was working and he was doing his thing and i was just trying to i was just surviving you know i was just trying to do all i could just doggy paddling i was doggy paddling for several for several years i like that so we see shriners hospitals on your fire suit and they've been on on your car and been with you for a handful of years now it's really cool the work that you guys do with them tell the listeners a little bit a bit bit more about them and your relationship with them yeah so i found a charity back in 2007 and it was the shriners hospitals for children to donate my chug for charity uh coca-cola points uh, money at the end of the year and i didn't know much about the shriners i knew they had a fraternity with you know guys that had the fezes that were in uh, parades and had some circuses around the country but i didn't really get the connection between the hospital and and the fraternity side and once i started visiting some of the hospitals and and seeing the the patients and and how they were treated for uh from a, a physical standpoint and a mental standpoint and how happy a lot of the kids were and and what quality of work the Shriners were doing I just felt like man this is a great cause that a lot of people don't know about that I can use my platform as a NASCAR uh, cup driver to help tell that story and so I became a Shriner I joined the fraternity became a a Mason and became a Shriner and that was a very fulfilling and and a rewarding thing that I did uh, seven eight years ago and then uh, they've had an official partnership with Front Row Motorsports for a couple of years where uh, they're on the race car for some races they bring some of their patients some of the donors out to the track Mm -hmm. and it's really been a, a, a neat uh, a neat thing to spread that awareness uh, to tell the story that uh, a lot of you know a lot of patients are uh, are able to live a normal childhood uh, thanks to the Shriners whether they had an accident uh, when they were young whether they were born with some type of injury uh, obviously the uh, the Shriners do a lot of different type of orthopedic work uh, with kids with spinal cord injuries and foot problems and walking problems and bone problems and uh, even uh, kids that have you know, uh, uh, legs or arms that 
are, are am- amputated and, and they need help to rehabilitate that. They mm-hmm. have world-class technology that helps those kids live a normal life. So it's, They do uh, a lot. Yeah, and then they specialize in burns, too. So they have a few burn hospitals uh, around the country. So it takes a lot of money to run those hospitals and care for the kids. And the Shriners, they, they raise a lot of money. And then with the help of our NASCAR program, we've been able to tell that story and help them raise some money and awareness. So it's been fun. And even after I'm done racing, I'm still going to work with those guys in some different ways and do some different stuff uh, with them throughout the rest of my lifetime. And, and it's, a good, it's a good charity. There are a lot of great charities, a lot of great groups around the country. But I felt like the Shriners, uh, they, they do a lot of good work and, um, and really change the, uh, the outcome of, of children's lives talk with one of your teammates matt tift a few weeks ago at new hampshire and i asked him about driving at front row motorsports and having bob levine as an owner bob jenkins sorry yeah, as an yeah. owner uh he said that he's a really cool guy to drive for because at the end of the day he has all these different business ventures but he just loves racing and you've been with him for a handful of years now i assume that you would probably second that he's just a really cool guy that loves racing well, I don't know if he's a cool guy or not. But, uh, okay. Uh, and, Maybe, and, well, hopefully he's not listening no, to this. No, Bob is, uh, yeah, I don't think he would categorize him as cool either. <laughs> but Bob is a is a great guy. He's a great leader. He's a great uh, husband and a great father. And, and he's really been a good mentor to me and, and to our entire team. And it, it's amazing to see the passion he has for motorsports and, and for other things as well. I think Bob doesn't do anything halfway whether it's his business, raising his children, uh, this race team, uh, charitable organizations that he's involved with. He does things right, and, and he has taught me a lot of, of life lessons uh, over the years. Uh, and, and we've had some, some stressful, tense moments where I, I was leaving and coming back and kind of negotiating some of that. But uh, it has uh, shown me that, uh, that, that a man's word is always uh, important, and, and uh, that is, uh, is something that uh, – that I've learned from Bob and, and you know, his brother Brad and, and the rest of his family. They've been uh, good friends to uh, to the Reagan family. And to see the money that he has invested in Front Row Motorsports and NASCAR, that's what NASCAR needs, man. NASCAR needs uh, car owners like Bob Jenkins, and that's the future of what the NASCAR ownership model looks like, in sure. my opinion. I think Bob Jenkins is going to be here for a long time. I think he has uh, been very uh, conservative and, and smart and methodical on how he's built front row motorsports how he's grown it kind of what he's did he hasn't done too much but he he hasn't set idle either so he he has uh he's done the 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 perfect thing in my opinion to survive through some very hard times in 2000 you know eight nine ten eleven when sponsorships weren't that great so yeah bob is uh is one of the the neatest guys that that i know uh he's a successful guy but he's still very humble and uh, uh, he, he's, uh, he's a great guy. I wouldn't say he's cool, but he's, uh, he, he's an awesome guy, and I look up to Bob. Maybe Matt's just too young. He probably yeah. thinks everybody's yeah, cool. Yeah, that, that's right. right. That's well, right. Uh, I haven't heard a bad word about Bob. I also haven't heard a bad word about you. Uh, I feel like in the NASCAR Cup Series garage, you're widely regarded as, for lack of a better term, the nicest damn person like in the garage. I, I just feel like that's a no-brainer. What? What does it mean to you that all the drivers, especially when you, when you came out with your announcement that you're stepping away, everybody just sent in tons of congratulations saying this guy's done it the right way. He's been there every step of the way. He's just a damn nice guy. Yeah, I mean, that that's nice. I It's a testament to my parents and, you know, how they raised me. And uh, I feel like I've just tried to be, you know, who I am. And, and maybe sometimes that's hurt me a little bit. I've probably lost out on a few deals or uh, a few opportunities uh, from, from just being real and, and being 
being a nice guy, but I felt like if I were in a traditional business or in, in another job setting or followed another career path, I would have still been you know, the same David Reagan. So thanks to my, my mom and dad for disciplining me as a kid and giving me spankings when I needed them and, you know, making sure that uh, uh, that I was uh, – you know, home, home before late and didn't get in much trouble as, as a young guy. and Didn't wager uh, too much in Vegas. Yeah, did, didn't blow all my money in Vegas. So, yeah, it's uh, – I mean, yeah, no one's perfect and neither am I. But, uh, yeah, I just try to be be who I am and uh, and, and try to respect other people and, and, and love and serve others when I can. So that was going to kind of be one of my final questions. In terms of a legacy that you want to leave in terms of your full-time driving career here in NASCAR, seems like you kind of answered it right there. It's just being a nice guy who loves and who cares and who's always there for people, keeps it real, and is a friend. Yeah, I mean, that's not for me to determine. That's for everybody else to kind of determine. And, uh, you know, that's uh, I, I don't really uh, care too much about what, what that legacy is. I mean, I don't work hard to promote a certain thing. And right. like I talked about earlier, I've probably missed out on deals because I haven't wanted to – brand myself or push you know who i am and, and sell myself for for, for dollars are. or for money and yeah. and sometimes i think about that and i'm like man i probably missed out on a couple of things because i didn't like to do social media as much as i should have i didn't chase after certain endorsements that uh, maybe I, I could have gotten but uh, i just tried to to be who who i am and try not to be that greedy and uh yeah it, it's it's nice to know that the guys in the garage respect me and hopefully they respect me for a good race car driver i, I know i'm not the best driver that's ever uh, sat down in one of these cars but i feel like i've been able to uh, achieve uh, some some pretty neat things and just to uh, make a couple of starts in the cup series that that was that would have probably been good for me uh, so several hundred more is just icing on the cake last question for me when, when we're not seeing you on the sidelines cheering on your kids playing soccer or maybe behind the wheel of a of a truck at a short track or maybe an imsa car can we see you maybe doing some more TV? Because I know you've done some work with Race Hub, and you're very well-spoken, so you do a great job with that. Yeah, I would like to do some. I don't want to travel every week, and I don't want to be a you know pit road reporter and, and up in the booth and, <laughs> and, and, and hustling down for stories. So, right. you know, if I, if I wanted to travel every week and be involved, I'd have kept racing. Yeah. So if I could find something to do, some in-studio work, that would be great because I love talking about NASCAR. I love uh, telling our story. I think our sport's at a really good spot now. We've got a lot of momentum with – uh, ticket sales and TV numbers have been pretty good. I think the package on the track's been pretty solid. We've got a, a new car coming out in a couple of years. I think will be really great. So the sport's at a good place, and I've got a lot of good experience. I can can help educate the fans on, on what to look for and what to see and what to do. So, yeah, I love talking about NASCAR, and hopefully I can continue my role in doing some work on TV uh, with Fox. I think they're one of the greatest uh, you know storytellers that our, our sports had and all the other TV partners that we have uh, – they do a good job too but but fox does it right and i'm happy to be a part of their team just your neighborhood dad cheering on his soccer team, yeah right? that's right congratulations on a great career thanks for taking some time yeah thank you there you have it everybody my conversation with david reagan driver of the front row motorsports ford in the monster energy nascar cup series really nice guy gonna be ashamed to see him go from full-time cup racing he kind of had one of those careers that just kind of mellowed out and as he talked about, you know, there were some times where he did not really want to be at the racetrack. He did not want to be at the race shop. He did not want to be driving. And that was in those Roush Fenway racing days. But he's rebounded. He found a nice home for himself over at Front Row, made a nice living out of this career. And now he's ready to move on to the next chapter of his life. And we will move on to the next chapter of this podcast. That is what we call a professional segue. Looking ahead to the 1000bulbs.com 500 
at Talladega Super Speedway. Blah. Shout out to Kerry Murphy and Toby Christie from the Final Lap Weekly. And the k Pro Series West Race at All-American Speedway in Roseville, California. I wrote approximately one line of information for the preview of this race. Wild card, dot, dot, dot. Not much else to say. <laughs> Bottom four, we got Joey Logano, who is actually tied with William Byron for the final transfer spot. So he's technically minus zero below the cut line. But by virtue of their finish at Dover, Byron holds the tiebreaker. Clint Boyer, Chase Elliott, who had the engine failure at Dover, and Ryan Blaney, who also had a suspension failure late in the final stage, currently sit below the cut line. Now, the only driver that is safe going into Talladega is Kyle Larson, which is kind of ironic because last time we were there, he was the one flipping down the backstretch as the race was ending, that insane slow-motion shot that Fox Sports got of him just barrel-rolling and the car torn all to pieces. That was insane. So he's safe. Everybody else... What's their strategy going to be? Are they going to work with their, their manufacturer teammates? You know, Chevy has worked together pretty well at the restrictor plate tracks, even though they're not restrictor plate tracks anymore. Ford, you remember in this race last year, Stuart Haas racing? Eric Almarola won the thing, but SHR ran 1, 2, 3, 4 for, I, I think, literally like 98% of the race, I think was the statistic, as I can't speak English. Um, but that was insane. So are the Fords going to work together? If so, how closely? Are the Chevys going to work together? If so, how closely? Are the Toyotas going to work together? If so, how closely? And I'm interested in that because there's not that many of them. There's the four JGR cars plus Levine Family Racing's Matt Benedetto, but that's it. So you have, you have Penske and SHR and Front Row, which are all Fords, plus you throw in GoFast in there. Then you have Chevrolet, which is Hendrick, Ganassi, and some other teams here and there. And Toyota, you only got five cars pretty much. And the other thing is, with those four drivers below the cut line, you need points. You need stage points. You don't need to just finish the race well. You need to gain points throughout the entirety of the event. So are guys going to lay back, kind of try to avoid the big one throughout the majority of the race? Or are they going to be jockeying for position, running up front, weaving and bobbing their way to try to get stage points when those two stages end. That is what I'm going to be looking for throughout the race. The teamwork within manufacturers, if they do work together, who are they with? If they don't, which I think actually may happen more than the former, who are they going to be working with? And the guys below the cut line especially, Logano, Boyer, Elliott, and Blaney. You can even throw William Byron in there too. Are they going to be aggressive in terms of getting stage points because they need them or are they going to try to be chill and hopefully they'll be able to be up front once the final stage concludes and then try to do what they can at Kansas or are they going to be aggressive the entire time? So we shall see on that. And of course, the K&M Pro Series West back in action. The third to final race of the season at All-American Speedway in Roseville, California. It's a short track. It's in the Sacramento area. Bill McAnally's hometown is Roseville. So I did a story on him for NASCAR Home Tracks this week. Please go ahead and check that out. Hopefully you will enjoy that. He has some cool nuggets to drop in there, as he always does. Bill McAnally Racing, not bringing their usual three cars. They're bringing five yeah, so you got Derek Krause, who's leading the championship standings by 40 over Trevor Huddleston. Essentially, as long as he shows up and nothing catastrophic happens in the final three races, he's pretty set to go to win his first championship in NASCAR. Trevor Huddleston's second, but then you got Haley Deegan third. She's running for BMR. And, of course, Brittany Zamora running for Sunoco Rookie of the Year honors. She's the usual third entry. 
But we have two more this week. We have Dylan Garner, who made his first start this season at Irwindale Speedway, started sixth, finished ninth. So he's going to be making his second career start for BMR. And Derek Doring. I think Doring is how you pronounce it, or Dowring. I don't really know. But this this story is really, really cool. He's from Auburn, California. He's a local racer at All-American. And Bill McAnally Racing and the track were doing a promotion that basically was giving away, you're giving away, you know, an engine, a five-star body, pit passes for the finale at ISM Raceway, all this different stuff. And one of the grand prizes was somebody that's that's a local racer in one of their local divisions would be able to get a test in a K&M Pro Series car around All-American Speedway. Presume that the test goes well, you would then actually race in the event. Of course, NASCAR had to approve you. You had to get a NASCAR license, all that stuff. But the lucky winner of that was Derek. So he did the test, the seat fitting, everything went well. He got approved, and he's going to be making his first career NASCAR start this weekend. He's a local modified driver at All-American, and now he's hopping in a K&N car with the big boys and girls. Like that, that That's something really, really cool. So I'm excited to talk to him, meet him, and kind of get his perspective on the entire thing. Be on the lookout on the Twitter account for that and see how that interview goes. I, I'm, I'm really interested to see what his mindset is going in, whether it's, look, I'm in, I'm in a good piece. Like, let's go win this thing. I know this track better than anybody. Or it's, hey, man, I'm just happy to be here. I have a feeling that it may be the former. So, again, that will be this Saturday evening. I guess it will be 645 Pacific, so that's around 945, 10 o'clock Eastern time from All-American Speedway, the Napa Auto Parts Enios 150. It will be on fanschoice.tv. I will be there. Hopefully, will not be freezing my butt off like I was in Meridian, Idaho. Hopefully, you guys will be watching and following along. Look, Nets of the Week! Cue the music. Who are you going to call? Cole Custer! He wins the Xfinity Series race at Dover International Speedway. Locks himself into the next round. We saw that coming because he's one of the big three. has a lot of playoff points. But seven wins on the season for Cole Custer. What a race for him. He was able to hold off Justin Allgaier, who won the first two stages in the event. And Justin, I talked to him after the race. He said, if we were on even tires, I think I might have had a shot at him. But Cole Custer don't care. He's a winner for the seventh time in 2019. Davey Siegel with Front Stretch. Justin said that if you guys were on even tires, he felt like he might have been just as good, if not better than you. Do you think that if you guys were on even tires, you would still be able to hold him off to have that clean air and track position, or was it more of a toss-up? Uh, it's a toss-up. I think we were fairly equal in the short run. I think the long run, it seemed like we would definitely catch him. Uh, so, I don't know. It's hard to say, but I think definitely clean air is definitely king here. Speaking of seven, the Gen 7 car. It's going to be dubbed Next Gen by NASCAR. There was a two-day test for that car that is slated to debut in 2021. It was held at Richmond Raceway with Austin Dillon of RCR. And they released a picture of the car, but it had zebra designs all over it because they don't want to see like the the bumps and the, and the bruises, so to speak, and how the car is contoured. But there, there's been some mixed reaction with the car. I, I'm going into it with kind of an open mindset. Um, we'll see if they keep five lug nuts on or if they go to the one lug nut system. Uh, there's been rumors that they're leaning towards the one lug nut system and eliminating pit stops in the Xfinity and the truck series altogether. I'm going to go on the record and say I am very opposed to that. But we will see what happens. You know, NASCAR is working very hard, very diligently on 2021 for the next gen car, uh, gen 7, next gen, whatever you'd like to call it. 
So we'll see how that goes. And there's supposedly some more testing that will be going on later on this year. Ty Dillon is going to run a Richard Childress paint scheme at Talladega this weekend. It's his first ride, his grandfather's first ride, I should say. Cool stuff there. Rodney Childers agreed to a multi-year contract extension with Stuart Haas Racing, which will keep him as the crew chief of the four car and Kevin Harvick for multiple years. Along with that, Eric Almarola announced a contract extension with the organization, and Smithfield Foods is back as a primary sponsor. They added on as well. Reports are around 30 to 35 of the 36 races next year. He will have primary sponsorship from Smithfield Foods. And the Arkham Menard Series 2020 schedule was announced. They're branding a lot of 20s. 2020 is the year, 20 races at 20 different tracks. They will be held at the following locations. Daytona, Phoenix, Salem and Indiana, Talladega, Charlotte, Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course. That will be fun. Michigan, Chicagoland, Pocono, Lucas Oil Raceway, IRP in Indianapolis, Elko Speedway in Minnesota, Iowa, Gateway, Madison, Watkins Glen, DeCoin, Bristol, Memphis, Kansas, and the Springfield Mile. Now that is not counting the 10 showdown races, which will combine ARCA, ARCA East, and ARCA West. And by the way, the East and the West schedules will be announced soon, according to people with knowledge of the situation. The showdown races are going to be held at the following tracks in order. Phoenix, Salem, Mid-Ohio, IRP, Elko, Iowa, Gateway, Watkins Glen, Bristol, and Memphis. Hopefully, I'll be able to be at some or all of those races. Uh, plans for next year still up in the air. Hopefully, we'll be back with home tracks doing the K&N, a.k.a. Arca East, Arca West deal. We'll see. But I'm looking forward to that stuff. It's really cool, the announcements that are all coming down. So that's the Arca schedule and the showdown schedule officially announced. Arca East and Arca West will be out, hopefully, sometime soon. That'll wrap things up, guys, for episode 32 of Victory Lane 2.0. I know it sounds trivial every week, but please do me a favor, rate and review this podcast. It helps it gain some visibility in the podcast space. Um, you know, there's a lot of NASCAR podcasts that are kind of saturating the market. I'm actually going to look on my phone right now and tell you, like, how many I have that I listen to pretty much every single week because I'm a podcast whore. I just said that on the show. So there's mine. Uh, the Deegans actually just released a podcast that they're doing, so I'm listening to that. Then we got the Teardown or He Ear Down for Jeff Gluck, Jordan Bianchi, and The Athletic. Door Bumper Clear, Dale Jr. Download, Glass Case of Emotion, NASCAR Live, MRN Out Loud, MRN Coast to Coast, Sunday Money, Fast Talk, O'Reilly Auto Parts Pit Reporters, The Final Lap Weekly, NASCAR and NBC, I'm not even like halfway done, Latart on Location, Racing Writers Podcast, Kelly Crandall, shout out to you, Daytona Motor Mouths, Positive Regression, Redhead Racing Radio, shout out my boy Andrew Curlin and Jason Schultz, the Wicked Fast Podcast with Longboy and Timmy G from Boston. The Scene Vault. Waltrip Unfiltered. And that's not even all of them. You got the Mark Martin Podcast. There's Drivers Meeting with my boy Dalen, but he hasn't posted an episode in literal years. The Mass Cast with Rick Mass, but he hasn't done the same in a while. And then I also listen to two Formula One ones. Checkered Flag and Beyond the Grid. Plus Marty Smith's America. Plus Spartan Speak. So if you don't think that I'm consuming podcast content day in, day out 24 7 to make this podcast better you are sorely mistaken sir ma'am poobah i don't know why i just kind of listed off 
all my podcasts that I listen to. But like I said, I'm a podcast whore. So we are available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud. This has been episode 32 of Victory Lane. Next week will be episode 33. We'll have another super scintillatingly sensational, fantastic guest on. Until then, enjoy Talladega. Enjoy Roseville. Peace and love my homies. And by the way, the Nationals are going to the NLCS. Let's go Nets.